Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. In a uh, welcome respite from the not particularly narrative past couple of weeks, uh, boy, oh boy, do we get plenty of narrative this week in Parshat Kitisa. Um, we're going to fast forward over a bunch of uh, good, juicy stuff. We're not going to dive into the golden calf. We're going to be picking up after that piece of the narrative. Um, and even <laughs> if I were to try to do the very quick scan through the verses leading up to the verse that we're going to look at, uh, that in and of itself would probably take um, the majority of the hour. So it's going to be an even quicker hop, skip, and a jump through the verses leading up to the verse. And it's only one this week that we're going to be looking at. Um, so that's the preamble to the preamble. But that's what you come here for. Um, okay, so we're going to be picking up chapter 34, post-Egel Hazahav. Um, things haven't gotten so great. People made a golden calf. That was not a good choice. Uh, and Moses smashes the tablets. Um, and we are, we are sort of getting, getting another, another shot at this, as it were. Um, Rabbi Shots, by the way, did you see, uh, what his Kuni said on this verse? Did you yeah, see that? Things I brought, but you can use it if you want. Oh, it's so great. Ah, I loved it so much. It was very cool. It's your bat mitzvah. You you can have it. Wait, on um, on our verse or on thirty four verse one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, on our verse. I'm oh, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about it. And I'm I'm excited. Okay, uh, God tells Moses, let's let's reboot. Uh, let's reboot this sucker, uh, as they say in Hollywood. Uh, carve two tablets of stone like the first, um, and I will inscribe upon the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which which you shattered. Um, uh, we, Rabbi Schatz, we also could have talked about like how shattering is praiseworthy, that wonderful passage. Oh, that, that, there's so much good stuff in here. Okay. And that phrase, which Rabbi Aaron Alexander taught at Shavuot in 2016, I want to say. Is that right? Maybe around there. Um, that is the same verse and Midrash, well, really just commentary that my cousin used in his bar mitzvah, which was this same Parsha oh. last year. Um, so we're getting all the, all the memories of all the Torah, all at once. <laughs> I'm doing a very good job moving quickly through this. Okay. Um, we're going to get us the next set of tablets. Uh, come up to the mountain. I'll highlight that in this situation, as we were talking about narratives of revelation, we were talking a lot about the collective experience. Interesting to note that a lot of what's being highlighted here is the individual experience, right? You see there in verse three, no one else is going to come up with you. No one else is anywhere on the mountain, right? We are, we are pivoting from this being a communal experience to this being much more of an individual experience. Moses carves the tablets. He goes up. God comes in in a cloud. Um, if you've been in Shul <laughs> at all in the high holidays or around the Chagim, you'll recognize verses six and seven pretty well. The 13 attributes of God. Um, uh, can't help myself. One more quick comment. If you want if you, great examples in rabbinic editing, 
Um, right, we know these words. Uh, That's where we pause, right? God, graceful, uh, merciful, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, who who forgives and so on and so forth, and cleanses, right? That's where we pause. But the verse actually says, <laughs> right? Like it actually says exactly the opposite because the rabbis want it to be a nice, uh, uplifting sense liturgically of what God does. But it actually says God, God, God doesn't forgive, right? This really problematic notion of how iniquity actually, um, does get revisited upon following generations. Uh, Rabbi Schatz, next year when we're doing this again over Zoom, we can maybe pick up on that. Sound good? Sounds great. <laughs> okay, very good. Um, Moses bows. Uh, they commit to making a covenant. Um, and then basically what happens over this next chunk, um, another piece that we won't get into, but I've alluded to this over the past couple of weeks. I think you can think about, as you go through the Torah, I think there are actually multiple sets of 10 that are slightly different each time as you go through the Torah, as the narrative unfolds. And this, from my perspective, is a different set of 10, right? It's a, it's a different set of uh, similar but different set of 10 commandments. We're not going to get into this here. Particularly interesting given that God says, I'm going to write the same things on these tablets that you got in the first set of tablets, even though then what follows is clearly different. Some is the same, but some is different, right? We're getting much more detail in terms of the holidays that you should observe. Um, we're getting much more um, basically practical kind of concrete actions you should take. Um, we see some stuff, right, about Shabbat, but we also see, like I said, this idea of um uh, of holidays and practical things that that you should or shouldn't do. Um, and this also very clear idea pinpointing in verse 15, like, <laughs> remember how you just made idols? Don't make idols. You shouldn't have done that. Um, and that's held up, I think, much more explicitly in this version of Revelation than we saw previously a few chapters ago. Okay, like I said, very easy to get pulled into a whole heap of dimensions of this parak, but we're almost at our verse. Okay, verse 27, God says to Moses, write, write these um, commandments down. Right, so write down these commandments because with these commandments, with these utterances, right, um, I'm making a covenant with you, right, with you singular, right? Not with y'all, with you. Um, Ve'et Yisrael. Oh yeah, and, and with Yisrael too. Ve'hisham im Adonai arba'im yom ve'arba'im laila. 40 days and 40 nights. Most God. Lechem lo achal v'mayim lo shata. He didn't eat uh, bread and he didn't drink water, which particularly in light of the verse that we were looking at three weeks, three weeks ago now, where Moses and the elders ate and drank. Interesting that it's pointing out here that didn't eat and drink. He wrote down on the tablets the terms of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Last thing I'll pin, like highlight before uh, we we get into our verse. When it says it doesn't say who the he was, 
right? We, we, we don't know who he was. God said, I'll write, but, but maybe it seems like this is Moses. So there's some very interesting ambiguity there, I think. This is actually now the verse we're going to be looking at. Chapter 34, verse make, 29. Make it bigger. Can you keep doing that with your hands? It's a fun. There you go. Very good. Okay. Verse 20. Oh, hell. Extreme close up. Uh, verse 29. And thusly upon Moses' descent from Mount Sinai, and the two uh, tablets of the pact. We've actually seen, we've, we've, we've seen that the concept of a dude a lot in the verses we've, we've yeah. explored Rabbi Shatz. Interesting how that keeps popping up. The two tablets of the testimony, the two tablets of the pact were in Moses' hands, uh, in his hand, Beridato Minhahar, when he went down from the mountain. Moshe lo yada ki karan or panav bidabro ito. And Moses was not aware that that the, the that the skin of his face was was radiant. Um, in like it, it says here, since he had spoken with him, like in uh, slash through his speaking with him, right? Presumably the antecedents there, right? And and sort of reflecting that back, this idea that his his skin was radiant with light. Um, because of of this interaction, because he had spoken with God. Um, this is the only verse that we're going to be diving into today. There's a lot to say. There's a lot to explore. I'll pause there, toss it over to my beflanneled colleague, Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. Now everyone on the podcast knows what I'm wearing. Uh, it's not actually flannel. It just looks like it is. Um, okay, Kushiot. Questions that people have. I have lots of questions on this verse, so I hope that others do as well. Um, we're going to really keep it to questions. We've kind of forgotten that the past few weeks, so just questions. You can make comments later, but questions about this verse. Um, and Rabbi Shapiro, if you can still make it just a teeny tiny bit bigger so we can just see um, those verses, uh, those words very clearly. Yeah, Denise, go ahead. So what's the difference between Luchot Ha'edut and Luchot Habrit? Great. And why do we usually say Luchot Habrit? Like in, like at the Seder, who knows one? It's Luchot Habrit. It's not Luchot Ha'edut. Great. Fantastic. Great question. Um, I'm also going to do a better job of not answering everybody. So I'm just going to leave that as a kushia. Um, great question. Other questions? What does it mean by being radiant? What? Like, like they just say skin of his face was radiant. How radiant? Okay. Okay. So what does radiant mean here? Joanna? I believe the opening word of the Pasuk Vayar is singular, but there's a lot of people doing that looking, that seeing. Um, where, what do you? Vayar Aharon Bechol Bnei Yisrael. Wouldn't it call for a plural verb? So we're actually looking at the other, at the verse right before it. We're looking at verse 29, which oh. is confused. Um, but yeah. Yes, for sure. Um, okay, Rebecca and then Elon. My question is, why does it matter that he didn't know that he was beyond the fact that his skin was radiating or something like that? <laughs> why, why was it important that he wasn't aware of it? Fantastic. 
Right. So why is it important to write lo yada? Why couldn't we have just, you know, moved on um, after saying that his face was lit up? Why, why was it important for the reader to know that he did not know? Elon? That was my exact question. So I have nothing... <laughs> It was brilliant. The two of you are great Chavruta week to week. Okay, um, Gary. My question is, he would have been able to see it quickly unless, unless he was not able to see it. I mean, your face can be whatever color it's going to be because you don't see your face generally, right? right. So, so, so there was no way he would have seen his face. He could have seen his hands, but he wouldn't have seen his face. So you normally would not know that he, you're radiant at all. Great. So what's the what question are you asking about that? Was it? Um, he would. That would. I guess it's more of a, a statement that he's not going to be aware of it because you're, you know you don't see your face. Got it. Got it. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't missing a question. Good. Yeah. So there's. It is harder for us to see our faces than it is for us to see other elements of our body. Um, you need a mirror to be able to see your face or a zoom screen, as we all look at ourselves all day long. Uh, Bonnie and then Renee. Okay. So we're always looking for things that are. Uh... Not uh, every word counts. So why does it say he came down twice? They could have just said he came down bearing the tablets from Mount Sinai. Yes, fantastic. I wrote my taste of Torah on this verse also. um, And I don't actually have any commentaries on your question, but that was the question that I asked uh, in my taste of Torah also. Why, Why are there, and I never noticed it before, why are there two times for us to say, that Moshe is going down. Don't we already know he's going down? So is he continuing to go down? Is this something that we need to know that he came down a little bit and then he went down even further? Why are we repeating ourselves? Great question. Renee. Was it the first or the second uh, tablets? Is one question. And the other question is, was his face radiant like the glow that sometimes people get when they're in love or when they're pregnant? Or was it uh, more of the radiance of from the from the fire and the whatever was surrounding him when he was speaking with Hashem. Okay, great. So like what does radiant mean? Kind of similar to Jay's question. What does radiant mean? What kind of radiance was coming from his face? And which set of tablets are we talking about here? Um, great questions. Other questions? Anybody else? Yeah, Nancy. So I know in English that the spoke with him is capitalized, but in Hebrew it just says spoke with him and uh Rabbi Shapiro said earlier also there was a lot of, there wasn't really, um, it also said him. It didn't say exactly who it was. So I guess my question is who the him is. Yeah, great. So what Nancy's pointing out is in the Hebrew, it says, ki karan or panav bedabro ito. So if we are to translate this in the way that uh, Zioni Zevit would appreciate it, so word for word as opposed to in English, um, because the, the, I'm actually just going to say Karen or for a second. I'm not going to translate that. Karan or on, from his face when, it, when he spoke with him, right? So the way that the translator believes the him to be expressed here is God because what he must have been speaking to someone else. But Nancy's pointing out that we don't really know. He could have been speaking to himself. He could have been speaking to a different him. It doesn't say here speaking with God specifically. Uh, it just says speaking with him. It actually doesn't mention God's name at all in this entire verse. Yeah, Rebecca. Here. Um, I have another question, which is 
Um, and I would usually make fun of uh, the interpretation that Haran is a born, but maybe that's what's going on. Just to bring that up to the, you know, maybe it isn't radiating, but actually, um, you know, he's getting horns or some kind of pimples all over his face. Great. So one of the things that Rebecca's bringing up that no one else has brought up, and I'm, I will bring it up as, as a cliche that I have, and maybe even Rabbi Shapiro hasn't thought about this before, so we'll see. Um, Karan or, if you're looking at it, in the Torah, Karan Or means horns of skin. Karan Or, if you just say it and you don't look at it, means radiating light. So Or here, this word Or, which I just tried to highlight, but it's not my screen. Um, or is, <laughs> oh, oh, thank you. You take, you take uh, directions very well. Um, but now we can't see it, so what's happening? Okay, it moved see. over. I don't know what happened. Okay, I'll share. Take, this is what happens when I try to take direction. Things go haywire. No, no, no. That was good. You did a great job for a moment there. Um, okay. Oh, here it is. So, <clears throat> okay. So, no definition together. Let's see if they bring. See if they bring a definition. Great. So you can see here that or means skin. But we also know that this was not always something that was written down, meaning the Torah. So it's possible that we are actually talking about radiating light. That is how we translate it after all. And by the way, there is not one commentary I can find that translated, translates it as something different or asks the question. So it's possible that in our Torah, the Aleph moved to an Ayin and no one's ever asked questions about that. It's also possible that we, though we would never say that the Torah has typos, that there is a chance that this was just, that or spelled this way back in the day meant light. Um, today it means skin. So I would, I would say, I would say a different, I, I would think or, like, I think there's definitely what to play with in terms of or and or, right? In terms of like that midrashic. Yeah linguistic gamification that is so much fun i think it like karan here is the verb form rather than the noun form right okay. that the and and the, there there are plenty of comments about the here what does it say to shine right so and and there are comments about how karen is horn and karan here the verb form of radiance right for those keeping score at home this is where michelangelo gets the idea that Moses has horns, which, you know, did not historically go so well for us as a people. Um, but, but that's where this comes from linguistically in that play between Karan and Karen. So, so, and that the rabbis do talk about, yeah. um, but, but you can, you can invert that too in this idea of or and or, and of course it makes sense if we're talking about radiance and right after that verb is the word or just spelled differently. Like, yes, like definitely makes sense as something to play with. So the idea of Karan, right, the, the Karan or as Rabbi Shapiro is saying, because the verb and not the noun Karen, um, we are seeing it as rays of light, right? It, it's one word in Hebrew and multiple words in English. But to play off of what Rebecca was saying, and then my little uh, drosh on the or piece, is that if you don't have vowels and you just see the word Karan or, 
you could potentially think, just like Michelangelo, that it means horns of skin on your on his face. Um, so it's not such a stretch unless you know that Karan is being used here in a grammatical way to say rays of light, um, which is which is the way that it's used when you're talking about like the sun. Um, it's those are carne carne shemesh. I actually don't know how they say it for the sun, but but. Carne Shemesh sounds right, so we're going to go with that. And I'm getting nods, so I think I'm right. Okay, uh, Rebecca, go ahead. I just want to say that if you look, so to sort of play devil's advocate um, yeah. in terms of the horns, um, when you look I at see the what, I see what you did there. I see what you yeah. did there. Okay, you know, um, when you look at the word panav, the or with an ayin, skin makes much more sense. And then yeah. you're seeing his you know that his face the skin of his face radiated is a little is less sort of I think the light part is more of a stretch although it makes more sense but grammatically I think it does seem a little bit of a stretch yeah yeah for sure. And I think that that's exactly how we get the interpretation and the direction that Rav Spear and I are about to go in terms of our own commentaries um, that we found, but also that we are going to teach um, in terms of the, Moses's face lighting up, right? Because that's how we that's how we then tend to to describe it, that his face, the skin of his face lit up, um, not that there were beams coming out of, you know, out of his face, though, artistically, you will see pictures with beams of light coming out of Moses' face. Okay, Rabbi Shapiro asked me to start, because, which I kind of already have, because this was my bat mitzvah parsha, um, and to tell you a little bit about what I talked about at my bat mitzvah. Um, didn't you do that? Didn't you tell me to do that? Yeah, I'm just, like, trying to picture, you know, like, did you have, like, the 90s, like, like fluffy, like, you know. The 90s, sir. It was... Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> Anyway, okay. Um, my bar mitzvah, I was about like three and a half feet tall, and my my voice literally like like dropped an octave in the middle of the first aliyah I read. It was a, it was a momentous okay. experience for everyone. So none of that happened to me, and I was not ever three and a half feet tall. Um, but uh, okay, so. One of the things, and again, I talk about this a little bit in The Taste of Torah, so if you want to read that, you're more than welcome to. One of the things that I talked about is this idea, and I forget now who brought it up, but this idea that Moses' face is lit up, and how does he find out that his face is lit up? Because other people tell him that it is. There is no way for him to recognize that his face is full of light, because you can't see your own face unless you are living on Zoom or looking in a mirror. You don't know what is on your face, right? People say all the time you have something on your face or, you, you know, nice makeup or, you know, whatever that, that you aren't able to see your face. Robert Shapiro gets the nice makeup thing all the time based on his face right now. Um, but uh, But that you 
you are not able to see your face. One of the ways in which this has followed me through um, my life is that I'm very expressive. And so I tend, you can tell what I'm thinking based on my face. Um, and that isn't the way for everybody and it gets you in trouble sometimes. Um, but you, I show a lot of what I'm feeling on my face. And sometimes people have to say, Rebecca, we can tell what you're feeling, like get your act together. Um, we can tell what's going on on your face. So the only other thing I'll mention about my particular bat mitzvah was that I worked with Rabbi Sherry at the time's welling, Hirsch, um, and she was the first female rabbi to ever be at Sinai Temple. And I got to work with her and it was wonderful. And it was the first female I had ever worked with in anything Jewish. So I had had math teachers and science teachers and English teachers who were women, but never a Hebrew teacher, or I guess Hebrew teachers, but never like a Torah teacher or a Tanakh teacher um, or a rabbi. And that was the moment that I decided to become a rabbi. And so it's not only was the bat mitzvah speech, I guess, something that has stayed with me, but, but the moment definitely has directed me uh, until today. So one of the pieces of Torah that I want to share with you that I did not share my bat mitzvah <clears throat> um, is, and I'll leave the chizkuni to Rabbi Shapiro, um, is this... Go for it. You're the, you're the bat mitzvah kid. You can, no, no, you no, can no, do whatever not. you want. Okay, you can have it. Um, is this Orachayim piece, and I'll, I will share it. Um, if we learned nothing else from last week, it is that Rabbi Schatz is a visual learner. So here we go. Um, okay. Safaria did this weird thing where they changed everything to be in boxes. So can everybody still see that or is it too small now? Yeah? Okay. So um, I'm going to read a bit. Of, we're not going to read this whole thing, but it says here, the whole subject becomes clearer when the Torah reports that Moses wore a veil over his face at all times, except when he taught the Torah. The question, therefore, should have been, why did Moses not wear a veil over his face at the time he descended from the mountain? The Torah answers this question by stating that Moses was unaware that his face emitted rays of light. This is why he had not put on his veil, which comes later uh, in the Parsha, a few verses later, as usual prior to descending from the mountain. Okay, I'm gonna, we're going to skip to the end of this. It talks about where this all happens and all of that. When the Torah writes, he did not know that the skin of his face emitted rays, this does not mean that he was unaware of these rays of light. He was only unaware that the source was neither God nor the tablets, but the skin of his own face. The thing that I love about that is that as soon as Moses realizes that he has light coming from his face, he then has to figure out why. Why is this happening? Is it happening because I now have this um, really fantastic tablet of words of God that I'm carrying to these people? Is it because I encountered God? And what the Orachim here is saying that I think is just absolutely amazing is that there is something that Moses realized about himself. And that in realizing that about himself, he recognized that his face was lit up because he now had the capability to lead the people or whatever drosh you want to give after that sentence. And I, I think that that is 
such a beautiful way of interpreting this light because then it's not for Moshe. It's for the people, right, who are exactly the ones who make him know that it's there in the first place. It doesn't matter that his face is lit up. It matters that the people then get to have this newfound, energized, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not full of himself, um, self-confident individual leading the people, whereas before he was a little bit shyer, not so sure of himself, and now he comes out kind of guns blazing, um, ready to be the leader. So I'll sh I have a few more sources, but I'll turn it over to Rabbi Shapiro and see if he has anything, and then we'll open up for questions or comments. We can pause there for, I mean, that's lovely. I hadn't heard that before. We can pause there if there are comments. Anybody have any comments? <laughs> yeah, Ilan. I would like to actually offer a uh, more mundane and less supernatural interpretation. Yeah. Which is that um, it would seem to me that if any one of us were to have um, this deeply spiritual moving experience that it would not be unlikely that we would be flushed from it right that that rather than it, it wouldn't take a divine interference for our face to radiate um you know turn red as as we all would be right it's it, it, so um and by the way, I don't think it makes it any less powerful because Moses obviously had whatever experience Moses had and but it, but it but it makes perfect sense within normal human reactions that he would be flush and emanating this this kind of uh radiance right uh, heat uh, uh light whatever yeah and i and i've never thought about it as like a blush or a flush of the face but it but it is interesting that even even when you can feel yourself blushing or your face becoming red, often a person's reaction to that is more telling than how you might be feeling in that moment, right? Like the person who made you blush or the person who embarrassed you and now is seeing your face either turn red or white, depending on your complexion, um, recognizes their own actions. And so maybe the people in seeing Moses's face do whatever it did. And I love that idea of the blush because it's something that we all can relate to as opposed to the radiance. Um, maybe that was how the people then knew to react to Moshe and what had just occurred in his own experience and how they then got to be part of that afterwards. Thank you for adding that. I really, I really like that. Robert Shapiro, you seem like you wanted to share something on that. Have you unmuted? No? Oh. Oh. Okay. You can stay unmuted. I just, <laughs> I thought that was an invitation for you to speak. Uh, Rebecca. I, I just, I wanted to follow up with another question. If that's sort of the source of the, or the role of the radiant face, then why does he cover it up? If it's meant to be viewed and be part of his leadership sort of um, skills, tool. Why does he cover it up and uncover only when he speaks to God? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question, and I actually would be really interested to hear if Elon has an answer based on the way that he drashed it. The way that the rabbis answer the the radiant um, idea is that it was 
almost overwhelming and all-consuming for the people to see Moses with that kind of radiant face. And so he needed to cover himself so that the, the people were not consumed by it in a, in a distracting almost way. Um, but I would be curious if, I mean, not to put you on the spot, Elon, but I'd be curious to hear how you, how you interpret the veil piece based on your interpretation. Um, um, well, I mean, maybe, maybe Moses felt that it compromised uh, his leadership role, right? Because uh, he clearly, other than a few times in the Torah, was able to control himself, right? Mm-hmm. And the fact that he had this reaction, he had what would what would be a reaction that anyone might have. Maybe that's why he felt he had to cover his face. Hmm. But that's a probably a stretch on my part. No, I think that's, I, I think that's great because I think that, um, oh, Rabbi, Sh- someone just sent me, yeah, Rabbi Shapiro just sent something. Right. In terms of the panim panim with God, right. I, I can't read and speak at the same time, but, but I think that what you are referring to Elon is probably what, um, probably what Moshe felt in his kind of like humble nature of, wow, I just had this really big experience. I don't need to remind everybody all the time that that's the kind of leader that now I'm going to be. I can still be myself, which by the way, goes back to the idea of Rebecca when she meets Isaac for the first time and she veils her face because the way that I like to interpret it, though this is not how any of the rabbis interpret it, which is why I like it, um, is that she does it for herself to remind herself of who she is as opposed to because she needs to be modest in front of her husband, which is the way that our rabbis like to go. Um, but but same with Moshe, right? He wanted to com- to keep his complexion, no, no pun intended, uh, and be able to be the, the guy who he is even behind the glow. <laughs> um, Raj, you've been very quiet, which is making me nervous. Do you want to share anything? I'm enjoying the conversation. I mean, we've 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 shifted gears a little bit, so I'm kind of seeing how things unfold. the The thing that I tossed in the chat, I, I mentioned this um, in passing to Rabbi Shots because we were we were dancing between either this verse or verse 33, which also brings up kind of similar ideas. Um, and I had spoken, as I'm sure every everyone on here knows and remembers very well. Um, I spoke about these verses, taught about these verses, um, Shavuot of last year, which feels like approximately 8,000 years ago. Um, and I talked about um, like the idea of of masking. And I talked about like how, how that applies, you know, in terms of veils and masks um, in the Torah and through the lens of Moses and leadership and prophecy. Um, I talked about that in our own context. I, I brought in some ideas of um, masculinity and how I think it's shifted a little bit, but it's still present that like that women are more likely to wear masks than men. Um, and what that says about sort of where our society is at in terms of ideas of gender and presentation and strength and power um, and weakness and sickness and health and all of that stuff. Um, it was a long teaching and I'm, I'm not going to do the whole thing now. Um, but the thing that I put in the chat was a, a brief piece from that source sheet that is coming at um this conversation of, of masking an encounter from a different angle, which is, and, and I think in some ways like, like refracted back in an inverse of some of the things that have been said, which is that be, because of 
this encounter that Moshe had had. And again, the dance between you can't see God face to face and Moses wanted to see God face to face, but he couldn't, but he could still see God more closely. But then we hear later that he actually did see God face to face, that that there is something unique. And this gets back a little more to the verses that we're talking about. There's something singular about Moshe here, right? There's something that happened with Moses, between God and Moses, that didn't happen with anyone else or, or located with anyone else. And the 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 light, the illumination um, is a reflection of that and also has like a certain like like actual danger to it. And so that there is, like, Rebecca, to your question, and that's why I put it in the chat of like, well, if this is like so unique, why would he want to cover it up? It's it's like the double-edged sword, almost literally. Like it's it's highlighting how unique that is and showing the power, but because it's so powerful and because of like what that light itself is, um, it needs to be like sort of limited and contained in a certain way. And we know this about holiness in our tradition, right? That like one of the things that makes something holy is that it it's a little bit separate right? That it is integrated into our lives. And there's also a separation in some way. Um, so anyway, weaving all of that together. Um, I, I am, I am excited to like bring the Chizkuni piece because he, he addresses things from like, before he even gets into what the light is, he asks, well, why light to begin with, which we haven't even like <laughs> touched on so much, which I think is a really interesting question. But I also see that, that Joanna has her hand up. So I'll, I'll, I'll pause. I'll pause the various riffs there. One thing that I'm contemplating for the first time studying this text now is like my previous read of this text was always that the purpose of the veil was focused on the people and something to do with the people. The people couldn't take this vision, so it protected them in some way or but I'm wondering now if there's an understanding, kind of getting a little bit at what um, I think Elon started to get at also was maybe it was Moshe who needed the protection, not the people, right? Maybe the people eventually would have gotten used to it or understood it. And I'm relating it to um, like how some people, when they dive in the Amidah, for example, completely cover themselves in their talit so as not to be... Um, distracted by anything going around them. So that Moshe felt that his work with God was so important that to see these people's reactions would have been too distracting for him from his work. And therefore he needed to cover himself in order to not see everything that was going on amongst the people. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great interpretation. And yes, I'm just going to, I'm going to let that be. I think that's a great interpretation. Um, okay. Rabbi Shapiro, I would really like for you to do the Chizkuni piece because I also <laughs> like the Chizkuni piece. So if you could share that, I think we might all be interested in it. Or at least the two of us would be. Oh, I think the two of us will be. At least, at least we'll be happy. Um, Should I share it since you're a newfound visual learner? Ugh, sure. Rabbi Shapiro was very concerned earlier this week and sent me a text message that said, do you want to hear something terrible? I think I might also be a visual learner. Well, it's because we are, because things aren't chaotic enough in our house, we might be getting a cat because what? sure. Um, and, and we were on the phone. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Rabbi Shots. And 
we had a very long phone call with someone from this cat adoption agency. And she was just like reading all this information to us. And I couldn't <laughs> process it. And I, I heard myself saying to Sarah, I really need to be able to read it. And I thought, oh, no, I think I'm a visual learner. I'm all right. really crying from laughter that you're about to get a cat. Okay. Can you do the fist? Can you do <laughs> It's a very cute cat. Um, now I'm distracted thinking about the cat. Okay, where are we? Great. So I'm I'm not going to go through the the whole thing. Can you scroll down a little bit? Um, basically, I, what I like about this, he gives he gives what I see as two different answers to the question of why, right? Like like not the question of why wasn't he aware, but the question of why is it important that his face was lit up to begin with? Ravish says, I don't know if you see it that way, but but I see kind of like two two different hypotheses for why this might be. So I'm picking up in the middle there. I'm going to take you from like the the seeing. Seeing that the giving of the first set of tablets was accom- accompanied by, by so much publicity. I don't think that's probably what it says in Hebrew. So much publicity. Great PR for the initial, uh, for the initial revelation. Good marketing person, yeah. Yeah, great, great. Mm-hmm. Great marketing, great PR work. Uh, by so much publicity, if there had been no visible evidence that Moshe had received the second set, some people might have thought that he himself had written on the tablet, seeing the raw materials had been taken up the mountain with him, right? So just like to linger there for one more second. Rabbi Schatz and I were both kind of highlighting the singular, right, all the singular verbs happening over the course of of, uh, of, of this parak of chapter 34. So, so it's like... Um, it's like a good a good clue that God that God is putting out there, right? That lest you think that Moses just went up the mountain, he brought the tablets with him, he came down with the tablets himself, right? Let you think this was just some stuff that Mo made up on top of the mountain by himself. No, no, no. This is sort of like proof of concept that because his face is radiant, you Israelites can can know very clearly that something really special. Uh, happened up there on the mountain. There might not have been the psychedelic light show that we had the first time, but there was still a very real something that that happened here. And that's why his face is lit up. So I, I like that answer, right? I, I think that that's a, a lovely answer to the question of, of why. Why is um, his face radiating light? And I like the second answer too. You see, it says an alternate explanation, seeing that prior to Moses' return with the first set of tablets, the people had been prepared to accept another leader in Moshe's place. The emitting rays of light and his descent from the mountain this time made a repetition of such an attempt quite unlikely. So I, I, I like this answer too. And, and to just sort of unpack it a little bit, I like that it brings it back into the narrative context, right? The first, the first answer um, that he's kind of sharing is a bit more grammatically located, right? In terms of all these singular verbs and picking up on that. The second interpretation is more narratively grounded, I think, right? Because like, like we, he, we hit fast forward over very quickly. We have the incident of the golden calf in this week's parsha, And what he's Kuni is saying is this is important based on what's going on just before this, right? Golden calf was a, a leadership crisis, right? Moshe had been on the mountain so long, people didn't know what to do, et cetera, et cetera. What, what do we do without a leader? We're trying to figure out where to direct that energy and where to take sort of uh, orders and authority from. Lest you think, oh, people, that you should ever accept another leader, 
look at the leader who you've had all along. And, and the radiance of light from his face is a clear indication that, that, that Moshe is the real deal, right? That, that this is really the leader for you. And you can see that literally on his face. So I, I like both these answers, right? And the joy of our traditions that you don't have to right pick just one, that there can always be multiple answers to a good question. And so I really like both of these answers to the question of, hey, forget why doesn't he know why his face is lit up? Why is his face lit up to begin with? So Rabbi Schatz, I don't know if there was anything else that, that you enjoyed about these comments, but I found both of them to be it's just quite, quite delightful. It's interesting that you really liked the end of this commentary. I really liked the beginning of this commentary. Oh, very good. Um, because I I think that the, the, well, I'll just read it. When God had placed God's hand on Moshe's face to shield him when God's glory passed and he stood in the opening of a cave in the rock, he, Moshe, merited this reminder of that encounter. And I just, I think that in the idea of whatever that marking was, whether it was light or that that excitement or that blush or whatever it is on his face, the fact that it was because of an interaction rather than, you know, God somehow changing Moshe to be something, but rather an experience and a relationship. I just, I loved that as the beginning of this. And it also connected to this other commentary here um, that I that I really like from, the Orachim wrote it, but it's actually from Shmot Rabbah, from, um, from, a midrash that says, uh, discuss, uh, Rabbi Yehuda Bar Nachman, I'll start there, claims that after Moshe had completed writing down the Torah, there was a little ink left over on the quill. Moshe touched his forehead while holding the quill. The ink which spilled onto his forehead turned into the rays of light. And I think that th- that partnered with the piece, probably <laughs> Shapiro does not like that. That's a, that's a little out there even for me, man. Even for a lone piece, man. That, uh, that's, a, that's a little bit out there, dude. I think that it's, um, I think that it's really, uh, I just think that it's a beautiful way of showing connection, right? That the little things that we do, I also agree that there was probably no ink and there was probably no like ink touching to your face to make light for sure. I don't, I don't believe that it happened that linearly, but I do think that there's something, do not start again. I do think that there is something that is, is powerful in recognizing that people can have impact on you that you don't even recognize and that it can change you in very physical ways. Whether it's the way that you speak or it's the way that you look or the way that you compose yourself, um, whether it's that ink on the face or the God, you know, the hand of God in front of Moshe's face, that that all impacted who Moshe was because of a relational moment. And I think that's really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. I I think I like that idea. Rebecca put in the chat saying that it doesn't answer about the horns of skin. I'll like, I'll, I'll reflect, reflect again, right? Karan or uh, Panav. If, if it was Karne or Panav, it would be the horns of skin on his face. Karan or Panav most simply translated means the skin of his face was radiant, was radiating, right? Karan as the verb, not Karen as the noun. 
they're the same, like it's the same letters. You, you're, wow. Rabbi Schatz, now I know what you feel like when I'm making faces when you talk because Rebecca is making faces at me while I talk and it's quite distracting. I'm glad, I'm glad we're all feeling so comfortable with each other. This is fantastic. Yes, Rebecca. I think Quran can mean also to grow a horn. So that's why I'm not, I'm, obviously I don't have a horse in this race. I don't, I, I don't, I'm not saying that it's a horn. I'm just enjoying kind of checking that direction because the yeah. image of, of that, of that painting is in my head. But I yeah, think yeah, for sure. To grow, to grow a horn. Um, and I don't. I'll, I'll pull. I'll pull it up quickly. I'm pretty sure. Oh, mm, oh dear, what just happened? Uh, my computer's freaking out. Very good. Um, so I can't pull up what I wanted to. I, I think Carnay or shows up a, a little bit later, which is more. Um, which, which is more along the direction that you're suggesting, right? So it's there. I don't know that it's in this verse as much, but I think it's it's definitely elsewhere and certainly. Um, a thing to play with. I'll add in Rabbi Shots to your your sort of relational comment. I found a really um, uh, Aviva Zornberg, who we've referenced a couple of times in our uh, in our classes here, um, riffs on this idea a lot. Um, and you know, two pages of Aviva Zornberg are probably three months worth of Parsha classes. So I, I don't think we're going to get into all the pieces here. But she has a really poignant comment that I think is is related to Rabbi Schatz, what you're saying in terms of the idea of of um of relationship, but I think also grounds it in an interesting way within the narrative. I'll just read one sentence. She says, with the second revelation, Moses's heart accepted a deep imprint, precisely because in the aftermath of the golden calf, God had been lost and found. I'll read I'll read I'll read that again because it's one sentence, but there's a lot in it. With the second revelation, Moses's heart accepted a deep imprint, precisely because in the aftermath of the golden calf, God had been lost and found. So that that's like sort of her her punchline to a much longer piece where she talks about Moses's face and shining light and so on and so forth. But it is picking up on this idea of the the power of that relational encounter between the two of them and how it permeates his being so much so that then the light radiates out through his face. Um, and, and also grounded back in the narrative, right? That there's, there's something different this time, right? That there's something different about the nature of this more personal encounter between Moshe and God, as opposed to the much more um, collective and communal experience that, that we had the first time. So I think I think it's it's a poignant comment in that way. Joanna, your virtual hand is raised. I was just thinking about, you know, this idea of like an experience leaving its imprint on you. I'm the kind of person that like if I'm fully immersed in a craft project or if I'm fully immersed in cooking, you're going to see remnants of that on me after I'm done. Um, and so if in some way that's a reflection of, you know, how immersed Moshe was in this experience. That's a really, that's a, I love thinking about that as an adult, but also as a kid, right? Imagine a kid playing in a sandbox or playing with glitter or playing with markers, right? And then imagine that that household is about to have a cat and then you'll just, anyway. Um... <laughs> Look, man, you know, we're doing our best. 
over here. Okay. Um, but those children end up walking away with, as you're saying, like remnants of the projects that they're part of and adults too, to some extent. Um, and Moshe really does walk away with a, a living artifact almost of, of his experience with, with God. And that's, I, I, I love thinking about someone at the beginning of the pandemic talked about, um, if the pandemic was glitter and there was this like meme that you never saw that. Oh, if COVID was glitter and like it was in one place and then I, I forget exactly how they. It's like an epidemiolo- like yeah. it's like a model for showing how things spread. Yeah. Yeah. Glitter is the worst. I hate glitter. It gets everywhere. Yes. It gets everywhere. Right. Glitter and kinetic sand. Okay. The worst. So, but but the the fa- terrible. The, so the reason that they used it is because they wanted to show that even if you aren't engaging with glitter, if someone has engaged with glitter around you, most likely you're going to end up with glitter on you. Um, so that's the same with God, with Moshe and God here, right? That there's those rays that that light then emanates to the people. <laughs> Probably having a good time with that. I love that God is glitter, which is also COVID. That's a wonderful takeaway from today. That. Um, <laughs> by the way, that that it, that those light rays could then impact the people, which maybe is why that veil is there, right? To keep some of it for Moshe and only have certain elements of it and remnants of it reach the people. Um, now we're really going down a rabbit hole, but I, I love that metaphor. Um, Rabbi Shapiro, would you like to would you like to close us out with something other than glitter? I mean, I thought last week was meandering. This this week has really been, you know, we're continuing to spiral. Can we call this podcast the the rays of light from Moshe and glitter? I think I think God, glitter, and COVID. The fun continues with Rabbi's Shots and Shapiro. I name these. Okay, would you like to close? Um, Joanna just put in the chat, the word Corona means crown and God is Melech Malchei Hamlachim. Um, I, that's pretty good. Yeah. What? Yeah. What should we do with that? Um, I don't know. Okay. But it's pretty great. Um, we've, we've got a, a, a bit... We are we are scattered like glitter uh, as we move to to close today. Um, I love I love I love this whole parak. I, I think it's it's got a ton in it to explore. I really enjoy um, thinking about the concept of um, how how spiritual experience resonates and lingers with us, and I think that that's a big part of what's happening here. Um, and I really love the ways in which in individual experience can permeate outwards and impact the way in which we can relate to others and the importance of being open to relationship with others, even as we're moving out of an intense uh, experience with another, whether it's another person or with God or with an experience itself. And I think Rabbi Schatz, that's part of what you were talking about uh, low those many, many years ago at your bat mitzvah and again today. Um, and so, you know, I, I guess I'll, I'll, sh- I'll share the, 
the joy, the joyous fact that uh, my parents are actually coming out. They're they're en route basically as we speak, um, and they'll be with us for a couple of days this weekend. I haven't seen my parents in over a year, um, so I'm just so 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 excited to see them. Um, and it's going to be weird, right? It's going to be weird because it's been a long time. It's going to be weird because they're going to be masked and we're going to be masked for much, if not all of the time that we're with them. And it's still going to be amazing. And it's going to be in some ways really difficult and it's just going to be awesome. And so that's kind of bouncing around in my head as a parallel to this as well, right? That there will be light on our faces and there will be covering and there are remnants of all that has come before. And that will impact how we move forward um, and, and most of all, that there will be real, ho- real holiness and beauty in that with the light and with the covering. Um, and, and I'm just really, really looking forward to that. So I wish a measure of that holiness and connection and safety, um, to everybody as we head into the Shabbat. So lovely learning with you guys as always. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.